We've been studying the last days of Christ's earthly ministry, and a lot of this information is found for us in John, in the book of John. Specifically, right now, we're talking about the uh, Passover meal, the Last Supper, as Jesus gave some final instructions to his disciples. Uh, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, huge chunk is devoted to uh, this particular teaching, these particular final words that Jesus has for uh, his disciples. We're in the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, the lines have been drawn. The leadership is settled in their unbelief. And this, again, is, this again is key to understanding this. Um, the Pharisees are kind of the target still of, of what's going on because they're the leadership and they represent um, everything that Jesus was trying to reach them, trying to make them part of the kingdom. <clears throat> and they just were not interested in getting to the kingdom the way Jesus said. They had their own plan. They had their own idea. And uh, they refused Jesus' invitation over and over again. And so he pronounces eight woes on the Pharisees. Seven times he calls them hypocrites. He says they are fools, serpents, and blind. He tells his own disciples, I, I need to leave. I'm going to depart. But I said, I, he's, I need you to be faithful till I return. I need you to uh, occupy till I come. And I need you to watch and be ready and be wise. And then in the upper room, when he's with his disciples, they begin to fuss over who is the greatest, and so Jesus begins to wash their feet. And all of a sudden, it, the lights start to come on as far as maybe, maybe we're amiss in this. And Jesus tells them, I, I need you to serve one another. I need you to stop judging one another. Stop comparing yourself with one another. You just need to love one another. He says, uh, before this... Night is over, before this time is up. And he said, you will all forsake me. And Peter goes into a, a, a dissertation where I would never. I, I, I will lay down my life for you. I will never deny you. I, listen, you don't have to worry about me. And Jesus says, before this night is over, Peter, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. And then as the disciples are worried, he tells them, let Stop letting your hearts be troubled. Uh, it's stopping an action that's already in place. I, we've read many, many times, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The let not your heart be troubled. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Stop an action that's already. He said, I want you to believe me. Believe what I'm telling you. My, my father's house has room for everyone. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you, and you'll be with me forever. And when I leave, the Father is going to send another comforter like unto myself. Matter of fact, you will see me in the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit indwells you, you will be able to see and know and hear me. And, and that would be an interesting thing. You and I don't have that benefit. I mean, uh, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. But we can't necessarily, we can compare what the Holy Spirit teaches us with God's Word and what it says. But the disciples literally when they were possessed by the Holy Spirit, could have instant comparison. This is, this is what it was like to be with Jesus. And now this is what it's like to have the Holy Spirit. And he says, we can see the similarity. Jesus said, you'll be able to see me and hear my words and know me through the Spirit of God. He says, my time is almost up. And what's about to happen, everything from the Garden of Gethsemane and the soldiers coming to the uh, time and, and Pilate's fortress and uh, so forth, all that, he says, it's going to look like the devil's winning, but he is not. 
And again, you're going to see that in our, in our passage and message today. The devil is not winning. He said, this is my father's plan. And so he said, I need you, again, to love one another because the world is not going to love you. The world's going to hate you. It's going to hate you because it hated me. And, and you're not of the world. And again, the idea we talked about, the fact of being different. Um, if you are just like everybody around you, then you are not a witness. You're not a testimony. There's, if there's nothing different about you, same thing as far as in, in the workplace, uh, somebody, you know, somebody should uh, observe your actions and behavior in the workplace in such a way that they say that man, that woman is different. How you conduct yourself, how you go about your daily business should be such, even as far as friends and relatives and things of that nature, somebody should be able to see a difference. They've got something. As a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about it from the standpoint of having something so much that other people want to know what you have. What, what, what is it that you have that I don't have? Uh, and, and being drawn almost from a standpoint of jealousy. I want what you have. I want that relationship. You're not of this world. He said, you are my servant. He said, you know, he said, you're not just my servant. He said, you're my friends. You're my friends. These people are going to be against you because they do not know my father. And he goes in further and he says, listen, it's because of my presence. Uh, my presence has angered the Pharisees to the point where it has revealed their heart. Me being present revealed the fact that the Pharisees were unbelievers. Uh, they were now unable to hide their sin of unbelief. They were unable to hide their covetousness. They were unable to hide their, uh, their greed and their desire for uh, attention. He said, they were unable to hide it because I was present. He said, they've rejected my father's voice, and this is, again, is important. They've rejected my father's voice, they've rejected my miracles, and they've rejected the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk a lot this morning about the Holy Spirit, and I want to share uh, one more uh, section with you. In Matthew chapter 12, verse number 28, it reads this way. This is the place where they accuse Jesus of casting out devils by the power of the devil. Matthew 12, 28 says, but if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods? Except he first bind the strong man, then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. Whosoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, you speak a word against Jesus, it will be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it will not be forgiven him neither in this world or in the world to come. That's the importance of the Holy Spirit's witness. The Holy Spirit's witness is God himself. And I want you to keep that in mind as we talk about this. This is God. And he says, he says basically, we have the Pharisees. He says, it's one thing. Jesus said, you, you've heard the voice of God the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And somehow you Pharisees have dismissed that. And again, think about that idea, that if you, were, if you literally heard not just thunder, but words. This is my... When, when would you forget that I heard this guy talking? Not this guy, but this guy. All right. Never mind. All right. 
<laughs> when would you forget? When would you forget the fact that this is my beloved? It's like, oh, I, I didn't really hear that. Did you hear that? I don't know. Maybe it was just thunder. It's like, what? And he said, you've denied that. And then he said, all these miracles that I've done, uh, raising Lazarus from the dead, making the blind to see, the lame to walk. And, and he says, you've seen all these things. You've had front row seats. Remember they had a front row seat when the, the gentleman was put down through the roof? And Jesus said, what is, what is easier to say, thy sins are forgiven, and, or rise, take up thy bed, and walk? They had front row seats. You saw everything firsthand. There are no mirrors. There's no, you know, I see something on TV, and it's some kind of magician or illusionist or whatever, and I go, well, there's a trick that I just don't know. I mean, he, he knows something that I don't know. It's like, how did you do that? Okay. And sometimes we can guess, and I think there's this and that. And I used to love the shows where they would reveal the secrets to the tricks. I, I love that kind of stuff because it's like, aha, now I know. Um, but it's, it's, I know there's a trick somehow. And they were, had front row seats. And these aren't tricks. These are genuine, honest-to-goodness miracles. He said, you've rejected my Father's voice. you rejected the miracles. And the worst of all is my Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, has borne witness with your spirit in your mind, in your heart. The Spirit of God is telling you this is true, this is right. This is the Son of God. This is God's gift to mankind. He is the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit has borne witness with your spirit in your mind, in your head, in your thoughts, and you reject that. <laughs> he says it's one thing to reject my Father's witness. And it's another to say, you know, I'm just a whatever. But to have God himself speaking to you, and you say no. He said, there's no, he said, there isn't anything else. This is, this is all you get. It's a lot, but that's all you get. And if you reject that, there is no salvation in this world, nor in the world that gets too late. He says, I'm giving you continuing information. Jesus says, I'm giving you continuing information so that when these things happen, when problems and difficulties come, you will not stumble, you will not uh, be uh, offended, you will not give up. You're, you're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. You're going to be kicked out of the temple. That's going to happen. And, and they're going to seek to kill you. But the Holy Spirit will give you some help. Verse number, back to John 16, but if you look at 15, the last two verses, but when the Comforter has come, who I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He's going he's gonna to bear witness of me, and then he's going to help you bear witness to share with others all that you've seen and all that you've been a part of from the beginning. Now, chapter 16. So I share these things so you won't be offended. Skip down to verse number five. But now I go my way to him that sent me. I'm going back home to the one who sent me. I'm going back to my father. And none of you asked me whither goest thou. And we talked about this. Nobody seems interested in you know, where you're going, what's it like. Yeah, your thoughts are not with me. Your thoughts are with yourself. He says, but because I've said these things, sorrow hath filled your heart. In 14, he says, let not your, stop letting your heart be troubled. And now he says, I need you to stop being sorrowful. He says, sorrow has filled your heart. And uh, he, says, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is absolutely necessary. It's expedient for you that I go and that I go away, because if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, 
He will reprove the world of sin and reprove the world of righteousness and reprove the world of judgment. It's absolutely essential that I go away. If I do not go away, then there's no, uh, there's no death on the cross. There's no payment for sin. There's no salvation. Uh, he says, it's in your best interest for me to leave, even though you want me to stay. It is in your best interest that the progression continues, that I go to my Father, the Holy Spirit comes. This is important. Uh, there's no salvation if there's no death on the cross. There's no gospel. There's no good news. And there's no Holy Spirit. And he says, I must go. I must leave. And we talked about some verses in, in 1 Corinthians 15 that are uh, part of the resurrection chapter. And he says, again, the idea that in order for us to get to heaven, uh, this body, we, we must be, we cannot get there flesh and blood wise. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Cannot inherit. And then 50 degrees, so this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. There must be a change. And in the same intensity, Jesus tells him, I must go. This must happen. I must drink of the cup that my Father has given me. I must suffer many things at the hands of the Romans and the, and the Jewish Sanhedrin. He said, I must, I must, I must. This has to be. This has to be the way it is. And so when I go, then the Holy Spirit will come. And it says he'll come and reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Uh, what does the word reprove mean? Okay, okay. If somebody was to approach you, now it's a little awkward, but if somebody was to approach you and said, uh, I need to share uh, with you, I've, I've got some reproof for you. Okay, uh, can you save it till next week at this time? Um, I, it's like, this is not good, okay? Or, or I, I got something that, you know, something you did that bothers me, and I, okay, can we talk about it next uh, this is not good. Somebody wants to reprove me. It is not good. They want to bring something to my attention that I've done wrong. To be reproved is this idea of um, carriage with it conviction. Okay, uh, it doesn't automatically mean conversion, but it does mean conviction. Uh, the idea of you know trying to uh, trying to stir up some guilt. Uh, I, I want to show you that this is wrong, and I want you to see where you made your mistake. Uh, typically, um, and again, there's, there's exceptions to every rule, but I'm going to do, I'm going to boldly go somewhere where I never should even approach to go, uh, in the difference between men and women, okay, uh, husbands and wives, okay. Typically, the way it works is the guy has done something wrong, okay, typically, that's how it works. The guy has done something wrong. And he knows it because he can sort of sense it, okay? He knows something's not right. And so he says, honey, what? Did I do something to upset you? Well, if you don't know. All right. Um, I tell you, honey, whatever it was, I'm really, really sorry. I, I Seriously, I... Guys want things to be over with. Boom. I messed up? Okay, man, I'm sorry. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Whatever it was, whatever really upset you, I, I am, I'm terribly sorry. The response, if you don't know, 
what upset me. How can you apologize for that? I don't know. It seems, seems to be the right idea. Because I want things to be over. And sometimes we want to drag things out a little bit. All right. So, all right. What exactly did I do? Here, here's what you did. Okay. And so the tendency is for a guy to want it to be over with. And the tendency for a woman is, to, I'm going to make him long. This is going to take a while. Okay. When I do weddings, I tell the young couples that you need to learn how to ask for forgiveness you need to learn how to grant forgiveness. Because sometimes we don't know how to ask forgiveness because we just want it to be over. And sometimes we don't want to grant forgiveness because we don't want it to be over. (laughs) We want it to continue for a little while longer. And so the word reproof is, uh, I want to bring this to your attention so you feel some guilt about this. Um, Correction, convince, express disapproval, blame to attach guilt. The Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin. He'll convict the world of sin. What sin? Verse number nine. Of sin because they believe not on me. Primarily what we're talking about is the ultimate sin, and it is the sin of unbelief. What sin can I commit that automatically sends me to hell? Well, a lot of people talk. We, the, what we, the verses we just read talked about there is no forgiveness, not in this world, in the world to come, okay? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that is the unpardonable sin, okay? Uh, other people think, oh, murder uh, or suicide, that's the unpardonable sin. There is no forgiveness in this world. No, the only sin where there's absolutely no forgiveness is the sin of unbelief. What Jesus was talking about was the Pharisees' stubbornness of heart. He was talking about the fact that even though God himself is telling you this is truth, you're like, no, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it, I don't believe it. It's the sin of unbelief. What sends sends a person to the lake of fire? It's not uh, not accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the the one thing. And he says he's going to convict the world of sin. And the ultimate sin is the rejection of Christ. It's going to be... This leadership that has been in unbelief and rejection and to the point where they want to kill Jesus and crucify him. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict of sin. Every single one of you, may I suggest, in this room, that has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, has done so at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You didn't come up with this idea all by yourself. Now, you might think you did but you didn't. It's at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Every single time I speak and every single time we, we pray about the fact that I want God to you know, take God's Word and speak to our hearts, okay? What we're asking is we're asking the Holy Spirit <clears throat> to take what is said and what is read and to apply it to our, <laughs> to our minds and our hearts in such a way that we respond in a positive way. Uh, it's the idea that, you know, when when someone is sharing, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you could even remember when somebody shared the gospel with you and sat down and shared it, <clears throat> and all of a sudden what's happening is it's like, I, I think they're telling me the truth. I think this is right. This is true. And it's the Spirit of God saying, that's the truth. Listen to it. That's the truth. You need to respond. You've never done this. You need to get this taken care of. This is the, that's the Holy Spirit talking to you, convicting you of the sin of unbelief. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> And so, the Spirit of God speaks to our heart. 
Listen to this. I, I want to show you this passage from Acts chapter 2. This is where Peter is, is preaching at Pentecost. And this is after the Holy Spirit has come into, the upper, into their, uh, their upper room place. The Spirit of God has descended upon them. And now Peter is speaking at Pentecost. Look what he says, or listen to what he says, as he talks to the group. And I want you to see this thing, the conviction of sin, okay, of righteousness, that God, Jesus is righteous, or he was who he said he was, and that there's a judgment to come, okay? Watch Peter's message after being filled with the Spirit. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was approved of God. He had God's seal of approval on him, okay? All right. Now, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. He was a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did, by him in the midst of you all, as you yourselves, you know this is true. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was God's plan. You took him, and by wicked hands, you've crucified and slain him. Okay, This is the conviction. This is the guilt. You rejected him. You didn't believe. In the one who God put his stamp of approval on, you said, eh, no. Okay? But then God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it's not possible that he should be holding up it. <laughs> That's, I love that phrase. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. The fact of the matter is, death could not hold him. It is impossible for Jesus to have died and stayed in the grave because he's God. It is impossible. It was not possible that death should hold him. This Jesus God raised up, whereof we've, we've seen him. We, our, our eyes have seen him. Our hands have touched him and handled him. Therefore, now being by the right hand of God, he's exalted. And having received the promise of received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, which he, shed for, which he shed for this, which you now see and hear. He says, he says, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. He promised us the Holy Spirit, who we've now received, and you're hearing him. The words that I'm speaking are the words of the Holy Spirit. You're hearing him right now. You're seeing that the Holy Spirit is present. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he that saith, uh, himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou in my right hand. This is a reference from one of David's psalms. He wasn't talking about himself, but he was talking about Jesus. Until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you've crucified, both Lord, Judge, and Christ. Uh, now when they heard, we'll finish. Yeah. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brothers, okay, we've been convicted. We've been convinced of our sin. What do we do? <laughs> now what do we do? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. The same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They received the word of God and put their faith and trust in him. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All this, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of the sin of unbelief. 
he'll reprove or convict the world in regards to righteousness. Verse number 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. I, you know, Jesus said, I am sent by the Father. If you do not recognize me as a gift from the Father, then you do not know my Father. And he said, I am genuinely leaving you and I'm going back to my Father. And I'm going to be set on the right hand of God. And you have this phrase here again in Acts 2.22 where he says, he's approved of God. The righteousness, he says, the convict, conviction in regards to righteousness is that Jesus is righteous. He is who he said he is. And so the phrase spirit of truth is used a lot to describe the Holy Spirit. And so here the truth about sin is that sin is, the ultimate sin is unbelief that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. The truth about righteousness is that Jesus was righteous. He was who he said he was. Uh, Everything is true about what Jesus had to say. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he, he was not a blasphemer. He was not a liar. Uh, he was not in league with the devil. He was not a sinner. He was who he said he was. And he says, I'm leaving, and you'll see me no more as far as this human flesh is concerned. In this, uh, <laughs> if you please, in this disguise that I am in, uh, you will not see me in this human form any longer. And he will reprove the world of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit will reprove the world of sin, of unbelief, the righteousness that Jesus is who he said he is, and judgment that he is going to be the judge. And it specifically mentions the prince of this world. This is a definite reference to Satan. Uh, Why do we need a savior? (laughs) Because there is a judgment. Um, In John 12, uh, just a couple chapters before, uh, when we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, it says, Jesus answered, said that my father spoke, the voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Prince of the world will be cast out. In chapter 14, uh, interestingly enough, verse number 30, we talked about Herein, time's running out. Herein, I want to talk much with you. For the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me. Uh, interestingly enough, if you remember, I said at that particular point, I said that you know, the devil was the prince of this world. He was a prince to never, and never was going to be a king. And I mentioned Charles, and then his mom died. Um, so uh, if you remember that reference, I said Prince Charles is now the king. So, but the devil's never going to be the king. He's the prince of this world. And Ephesians chapter 2 refers to him again, uh, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He said there's going to be a judgment, and there's specifically going to be a judgment for the devil. The truth is, it's going to look like the devil's winning. What's about to take place, what's about to happen, is going to look like the devil's winning, but he's not winning. He's not. Matter of fact, he is going to be judged. The prince of this world will be judged. And so there is a judgment. You need to know, the Holy Spirit says, you need to know the truth about sin. You need to know the truth about the righteousness of Christ. And you need to know the truth about the judgment that's going to come. There is a judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 
It says, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment. A long passage here in John chapter 5 where Jesus talks about it. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, the ability to give life and to give eternal life, and hath given to him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. So Jesus has the power. He's you know, the, one who, the one who you rejected, the one who, the sin of unbelief, is everything he said he was. He's righteous, and he's the one that's going to judge you. That's the truth. Okay. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. They shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. There are two resurrections there. And then the Son of Man shall come, this is Matthew 25, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory... And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. There is a judgment. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, there's a judgment. And somewhere in the process, again, even of your salvation, is the fact that, you know, the conviction of Jesus is who he said he is. I, I, my sin is a sin of unbelief, and I need, to, I need to confess my sin. I need to get to the point where I realize that Jesus is everything he said he was, and that there is a judgment, and one day I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to have to give an account, and one day um, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to account for how I responded to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say in verse number 12, he says, what I'm sharing with you is more information than you can possibly handle right now. Uh, he said, I have many things to say to you. This is chapter 16, verse 12. Many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Uh, it's like information overload. The good part is, <laughs> when the Holy Spirit comes, he will remind you of all the things that I've taught you. Right this very second? Yeah. <laughs> Too much information. Too much information. Holy Spirit will help you with the volume. Then he says, I want to tell you now, he said, what the Holy Spirit's going to do in the world, it's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, judgment. What the Holy Spirit is going to do in you, what the Holy Spirit's going to do in you is verse number 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, and again, there's that phrase, spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. The truth about sin, the truth about Jesus, the truth about judgment, he's the spirit of truth. Uh, and it's going to be everything that Jesus has told them is going to be uh, restated as, as truth. Uh, in John 14, he's called uh, the spirit of truth. John 14, 16 and 17. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter. He will abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Chapter 15, verse number 26. We read it to start the service, uh, to start the message. When the comforters come, who I will send to you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. And again, I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the Spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. 
Then it says he will not speak of himself. He doesn't have his own agenda. In the same way, and it's kind of interesting, you see the progression here. Okay, If I ask you, this is important, if I ask you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which one is the greatest? Which one is the most important? The correct answer is they're all the same. They're equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But for the purpose of salvation, Jesus submitted himself. Jesus took on the form of a man and submitted himself to the Father. I must always speak the words of my Father. I must always do what my Father asked me to do. I'm following his instruction. If you haven't seen anything else through this whole lesson on Jesus, he's always talking about, I must glorify my Father. I must do what my Father has asked. Even this task of going to the cross, this is my Father's uh, will. This is what he sent me here to do. Everything about Jesus is I'm doing what my Father asked me to do. Makes him no less than God. But he's submitting himself to the will of his Father for this purpose of salvation. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not less than Jesus. But the Holy Spirit's role and responsibility in your heart and my heart is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. In the same way that the Father brings, or the Son brings glory to the Father, the Holy Spirit brings glory to the Son. Now, interestingly enough, it does go the other way because the Father says, I'm going to glorify my Son. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But the fact is that the Holy Spirit's role is to not speak of himself. He doesn't have his own agenda. Now, this should start sending a little bit of red flags up in some of your minds, okay? And I'll culminate that in just a little bit. But he doesn't have his own agenda. It says here, Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, he shall speak. What he hears from God the Father, what he hears from God the Son, that's what he's going to share. He'll show you things to come. He's going to show you what is going to take place. The Holy Spirit will speak what he hears. And again, as I express the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you can also see this in, in the Devil's Trilogy, uh, in the book of Revelation, in the Devil's Trilogy, we have Satan, okay? And then we have a man uh, embodied, or Satan uh, possesses a man that's called the Antichrist. And then we have a false prophet. And in the same way Satan mirrors God and the Antichrist, Jesus Christ, the false prophet mirrors the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a trinity of evil. And in it... I think we have the verses here. Revelation 13, this is a good place to go, and, and it's not hard to remember. If I want to learn, let's see, I want to know about the Antichrist and the false prophet. Um, in the book of Revelation, 13 is not a very lucky number, so that's probably where we'll find it. Ding, and there it is. Um, I don't know. It works for me. I don't know if it works for you or not, but I... Uh, this is talking about the false prophet. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And he causes the earth and them that uh, dwell therein to worship the first beast. Uh, he's also going to be the one who, who initiates the mark of the beast and, and punishes those who do not receive the mark of the beast because he's trying to elevate the Antichrist in the eyes of people. He's going to cause the earth and them that dwell to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And this false prophet deceived them that dwelt on the earth by means of the miracles that he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, uh, which had the wound by the sword and did live. So he, his, his role is to promote 
the Antichrist. His role is to make an image to the beast and a mark of the beast and all these things. And what it's doing is it's mirroring the Holy Spirit's responsibility to draw people to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ and tell them that he is the truth. He has no agenda of his own. He will show things to come involving even some prophecy. And if you study in the book of Acts, we find that the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul was making his way back to Jerusalem, after being gone on the third missionary journey, he was making his way back, and he would come to these different places, and they would say to him, "Uh, Paul, we've been uh, led by the Spirit to tell you that it's dangerous to go back to Jerusalem. And Paul says, I know, the Holy Spirit has told me that too. And every place he went, don't go back, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, it's dangerous. Whether Paul was being stubbornly rebellious or boldly brave and confident, you choose, okay? But the Spirit of God said to him over and over again, there's going to problems await you at Jerusalem. Paul was almost killed (laughs) twice in Jerusalem before he was put into bonds and kept in prison uh, until he finally appealed to the um, Caesar in Rome. Um, But it was foretold, I'll show you things to come. Verse number four, 14, I'm sorry. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify me. He shall receive things of mine and will show it unto you. He'll be telling you what I have shared with him. Uh, And again, uh, verse number 15, all things that the Father hath are mine. The Father has showed me things that I've shared with you, and now he will take of what is mine and show it unto you. So again, it's from the Father and from myself. The things the Holy Spirit shares is going to be from us. And his job and his responsibility is to glorify me. All the gifts of the Spirit are given with the intent of showing you that Jesus is alive and well. Show me a church that the main focus is the Holy Spirit. And I'll show you a church where the Holy Spirit is not present. A bold statement, but that's what it says here. Holy Spirit does not have his own agenda. It's not one where, oh, let's see what the Holy Spirit will do. Holy Spirit, ooh, we want the Spirit, we want the Spirit, we want the Spirit, we want the Spirit. It's Jesus. Holy Spirit's role is to promote and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, not himself. Not himself. So I want to tell you some more things about the resurrection. Verse number 16. This is, this is kind of fun stuff as we close out. <laughs> the other are a little intense. Um, he says, A little while, and you will not see me. And a little while, you shall see me, <laughs> because I go to my Father. A little while, and you will not see me. And a little while, you will see me. It almost sounds, it sounds like a riddle. And that's how, the, that's how the disciples took it, because in verse number 17, then some of the disciples, <laughs> and I don't know if I'm making too much of this, But John is the writer, and some of the disciples said among themselves, some of the disciples didn't get it. I'm not sure whether he's including himself or not, okay? But some of those dummies, um, some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says, a little while and you will not see me? And again, he says, a little while and you will see me, because they go to my Father. And they said, therefore, "What (laughs) what is this that he says, a little while and... We, we can't tell what he's saying. In an effort to get 
sometimes to get my class to stop talking uh, when I'm teaching them, is I tell them that if you're talking, you're not learning anything. <laughs> I guess that would be true from the teacher's standpoint as well. But if you're talking, you're not learning anything. You're just sharing what you know. It's when you listen is when you learn things. And here's what happens is they go, I have no idea. And so they get together, and John says a group of the disciples, some of the disciples, not you know, kind of implied maybe not me, but some of the disciples were like, um, we don't know what he means. A little while and we won't see him, a little while we will see him. What, what, what is that? Well, if you want to know an answer, who should you ask? Let's go back to Thomas who says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Well, ask him. <laughs> a little while you'll not see me, and a little while you will see me. Verse 19, now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask. And he said unto them, do you inquire among yourselves that I said a little while and you shall see me, and again a little while you shall not see me? Verily I say unto you that you will weep and lament. The world will be somewhat happy that I'm gone. <laughs> the Sadducees will finally be relieved and the Pharisees will finally be relieved that I'm not here anymore. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall be turned to joy. I'm going to go away and you will weep. But the sorrow won't last. Think of the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus waited four days before raising Lazarus from the dead. Mary and Martha were heartbroken for every one of those four days that they were weeping. And, and still people are thinking, well, they're going back out to the, to the gravesite. They're going back out to weep for, for their brother and, and the sadness of heart. But imagine, if you please... Four days of weeping and sorrow and anguish of spirit. And then watching their brother walk out of the tomb. Alive and well and healthier than he's ever been in his entire life. The joy versus the four days of weeping. <laughs> He says, I'm going to be crucified on a Friday, and I'm going to take my body down right before the Sabbath. It's going to be very hard for you guys. They're going to be taken Thursday night from the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to be beaten, crucified. It's going to be much sadness, much sorrow. And you'll probably be pretty miserable Friday gathering, you're probably being pretty miserable Saturday. But on Sunday, you will see me. A little while, you won't be able to see me, but in a little while after that, you will be able to see me. And then he says, your sorrow will be turned to joy. And he, and he likens it to a woman that is in travail with sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man child is born into the world. It's an interesting phrase here. Uh, a woman in travail has sorrow because her hour, it's, it's time. She's in labor. But as soon as she's delivered a child, she remembers no more the anguish. Very quickly, uh, and, um, our first child, 
our daughter Amy came at a time, and I don't know what I don't know what the what the world was thinking, or what I was thinking, or what my wife was thinking, but came at a time when we believed that natural childbirth was better than than drugs and epidurals and and all that kind of stuff, and we believed that the child would be healthier and stronger if we just did it the the old-fashioned natural way. And I went to all these Lamaze classes twice a week for six weeks to learn how to go, okay, and, um, you know, and to hold her hand and to coach her. I was the coach. And I had even, I had even a little certificate, permission to go into the delivery room because I was the coach. And Brenda's mom could not go in because only one was allowed and <clears throat> I was the coach. Um, and so we went in there and my job for the next 13 hours was to say, uh, any time now, any time now. It's going to be soon. It's going to be soon. You can hang on, hang on. You can do it. You can do it. And, and, and you're in this terrible position where no matter what I say, no matter what I do, don't let them give me any drugs. <laughs> this is a no-win situation. I, I promise you, okay? No-win situation. My wife, over the next 13 hours, had the strength of the Incredible Hulk. As I held her hand and sat next to the bed, I knew when she was having a contraction because my hand disintegrated in hers. <laughs> okay? I, I didn't have to know, oh, it's, oh, coach, you better be doing something. I knew I was supposed to do something because I was being crushed. Okay? And, and the anguish and the pain and, and all that she went through for this baby to be delivered, the best moment in my entire life. It can be correlated to the birth of my daughter, but it is more the fact that when the baby was born and she laid back in the bed and went, is the best moment I've ever had in my entire life. Because she was finally relieved of the labor and the anguish and all that went with it. By the way, it's on the top five of reasons why I'm glad I'm a guy, okay? All right? It's in the top five, okay? You'd like to know what the other four are? <laughs> okay. Uh, why do women have more than one child? According to Scripture, because they forget. <laughs> it's because, there you go, all right? On cue, perfect, thank you. Um, they forget because the joy is so immense that they forget the pain and the sorrow. It's like, I don't know how you would forget that, okay. But the joy is so great that the sorrow is forgotten. And then he says, verse number 22, and now, therefore, you're going to have sorrow but I will see you again in my new body and my resurrected body and your heart will rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. You'll never have to be sorry again. There'll be sorrow through labor, but I will see you again. Your heart will rejoice and you'll never lose the joy. And again, we can translate that to our earthly situation and heavenly situation as well. When someone departs from us and then one day we will see them again, our hearts will rejoice and we'll never 
lose that joy again. He says, once you see and once you know that I am alive and well, despite all that took place with the crucifixion, your heart shall have joy that you'll never lose. You'll never lose it. He's telling them ahead so they'll be ready and prepared. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.